Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hello, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm your host, Sydney. And as always, I am joined this week by Blake. Hello, Blake. Hey, Sydney. What's going on? Not much. I'm really excited to chat today. Yes, me too. I think this is going to be fun. It's, it's been a fun week of Keyforge for me. I'm so excited to hear about it. So today, that is actually what we're going to be talking about. We will be talking with Blake about his experience with the new set. Yes, I was lucky enough to get my hands on a couple Winds of Exchange decks because I have a a very kind friend on the other side of the map. (laughs) And uh, I don't know who that would be, Sydney. But yeah, Sydney Sydney sent me a couple Winds of Exchange decks, and uh, I finally got to play them with my friend who I usually play IRL Keyforge with, but we haven't had a chance to get together since like September. So this is the first time him and I have been able to actually even play Keyforge and hang out in like months. So. That's a great coincidence because like you can't actually play Winds of Exchange anywhere else yet. So that's the only yep. way to play it's in person. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was really good. And I was saving playing them with him and I kind of said, hey, watch the YouTube videos I made just so I don't have any advantage. And um, for those of you who don't know, I, I or did not watch my YouTube videos, I got two decks. One was called Emilius of Weird Spears Monument, which was a Brobnar mars and sanctum deck and it was the very first one i opened and fitting enough to be the first deck i opened from sydney it happened to have the warrior creature (laughs) token which was the the fabled one that sydney had when she made that great run at kfc so i i I really appreciated the flavor of that beyond anything else oh my gosh that's awesome and i love those three houses together that sounds like a banger just from what you've said so far yeah, I mean, it was it's it's good. I, I don't know if it's going to be like top tier, but it's definitely really good. And I started to see some really fun things. Um, and then the other one's called Pride Brow, the Chief of the Coliseum, and it's Unfathomable Mars and Star Alliance. And um, they're both really fun decks. This one had the Priest's token, which I wasn't super jazzed about, but I'll get into some things about it that actually made it um, made it work and made it actually quite nice in the whole scheme of things but i'm going to pass the mic back over to sydney because she's going to be leading this discussion since i have all the new feels of winds of exchange and i think i've already had been on this side of it asking sydney <laughs> questions from after kfc absolutely so i i'm not going to ask you of your first impressions of the cards themselves because you already did that in your YouTube video. So if mm-hmm. anybody wants to know, like before playing, what your thoughts were on these cards, they can go watch your YouTube videos. But I want to know about the the tokens. Like what, when you saw them and you chose the deck that you chose to play first, because obviously like you have two decks, which one are you going to play? What made you make the decision to pick which deck you played? Well, first off, I'll, I'll put the, the link in the show notes to those YouTube videos in case people don't have to go searching. Um, but I actually didn't choose which decks to play. Ooh. I let my friend choose which deck he wanted Aww. to play based on it because he spent less time. Like I spent time looking through them. So I thought he can choose first. But we we ended up playing like an adaptive style. Like I play swap, he plays type of thing. But we didn't play a third game. So uh, spoiler alert is the same deck won both times when we piloted. The way it won, though, is what makes it interesting. That's so, so awesome. I, yeah, I, I mean, I identified the... I actually thought the Brobnar 
Sanctum Mars one was the more powerful of the two, but I wanted to play the unfathomable one more because I thought it had some <laughs> really wild things that could happen. And it did. It did not disappoint. Absolutely. So did you see when you were playing, was there a lot of interaction with your tokens? Did you get to utilize that mechanic a lot? Uh, a decent amount, yes. Definitely the Brobnar one had more utilization of the tokens. The weird thing was is that the token making came from Mars, which was a little bit, was was cool, but also like kind of disappointing in a way because in a way I wished I could have had, it, it didn't work in my favor in some ways, but it put creatures on the board at the same time. So it set up some interesting things, but I, I kind of wanted Mars creature, like a Mars token in this one. Actually, one of the two wanted a Mars token. I can't remember which one now, to be honest. <laughs> they both, the way it played, it was it was kind of interesting. But I, re- I remember feeling for both of them, I wish it was more in-house, kind of, the, the way it worked. Like the token making was a little bit out of house. That's so crazy, because in my experience, what I've played so far, I feel like when a one house creates the tokens and the token is a is from another house, then they become ready and I can call that house next. And it's it's been a, a different experience for me. It's really cool that you, you felt the way that you feel about the tokens. Sorry, I actually misspoke. So it's it's the unfathomable deck was the one where I wanted it to be a Mars token, not the priest because the mm. priest was, was pretty lame. And it's the one that had um, the out of house token making that would have been really helpful. It was in the, the other one though, that one was fine. It, it didn't have a lot of token making was the problem with gotcha. the Brobnar one and it being the warrior and the way it can just flood a board. I actually wanted to, it had a good amount. Like it, it made tokens better than the unfathomable one, but it was, um, it was in. It was kind of interesting. Um, one one cool side note for the deck that was the unfathomable one is Starlines had a Maverick as well in Ooh. in Starlines, and it was a Brobnar card that made a token. It's the the Jarl Sven that when it defeats a creature, create a token, which I thought was was pretty fun in a uh, inside of a. a deck you get and just having a maverick in your first couple of decks is always you know yeah totally good times also like a, a brobnar card in star alliance it feels like very star alliance to have a a maverick in it you know yeah totally so it was it was good so all of the houses that you've mentioned they are all the repeats so you didn't get the compacts of equidon how did the the houses feel based on like your your feeling of these houses up until this point what were your Im- impressions of the houses in this set so basically going one by one is both Mars decks were actually quite similar. Like they both they both had a lot of overlapping cards and they were great other than the one that I thought was the stronger deck, the Brobner Mars Sanctum. It had a triple kaboom, which you don't love. But at the same time, it was kind of... I mean, I didn't love it for two reasons. One, because both decks had Mars, which means it instantly would have that aspect. Right. And... Secondly, I wasn't a huge fan of the three because that's just six chains total at the end of the day. Oh. So, but the, the, I guess if you're going to look from the positive side, it provided consistency of a board wipe if needed. Absolutely. That was was the one kind of upside, but I knew I was going to be pitching some of them or something like that. So whenever I made a token and I saw a kaboom underneath, I was actually happy. That's fantastic. That was the one, the one good thing. Um, the unfathomable. So I obviously knew some things. So I knew Brobnar had some fire, and I would say the Brobnar was quite strong. The 
Star Alliance wasn't as bad as people said, but it was it was definitely underwhelming. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like I wasn't like whoa. I, I got a future booster, which was really cool since yeah. that was a card we got to reveal. The unfathomable was just as good as people said, and each time we played unfathomable, we did the same broken combo. We were able to just <laughs> be patient and do the same thing. And I feel like this is the appropriate time to mention what that was. So this Unfathomable had two befuddles. I should probably read these cards because They're being new, new yeah. people may not know what they are. So I had two befuddles that says, choose a house on your opponent's identity card. During their next turn, they cannot play cards of other houses. So that was great to have two of those. But what actually made it really good is it also had three sunk costs. Oh, my God. So choose a house. Your opponent discards a random card from their hand that belongs to the chosen house. If so, make a a token. But the thing that made all this just hilarious, and we got to do it like every game, was that it also had... Um, what's the card? I'm trying to... Oh, Abysmal Sight, which oh, then you nice. lead with. So this is the way you start off the combo, was destroy a friendly <laughs> creature. If you do look at your opponent's hand and choose a card from it, they discard it. Mm-hmm. So you literally go that into a Befuddles, and then you're like, okay, I know what they have now. And then you're going into Sunk Cost, so you know the ratio of what they're going to discard right. the most likely. And you kind of just create this situation where you can choose to discard either the highest ratio or you can be the card that you... You want the actually you go with the highest ratio and then you hope it's the card that they can only play. And then either way you're covered. So you either are getting a token or you're hamstringing your opponent from getting Oh, that sounds so painful. So it was really good. And it was like and it happened where I didn't need to play Unfathomable. So I was just calling the other houses. And then sure. suddenly you have this grip of Unfathomable cards and you would just execute the combo and get a bunch of tokens, which was which was fine. I mean, I didn't care about the priest tokens, but it set up potentially having an unfathomable board that you could utilize. That was the cool thing. I don't think I ever used the exhaust function. They were just really? creatures to reap with. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. It was more pushing. Gotcha. So I, I, I guess this is to go into the games now as a natural segue from here. What happened was is the the Brobnar Sanctum Mars deck pushed Ember faster Mm-hmm. And got a more aggressive lead in both games. Like it went exactly the same way. It just like suddenly like steamrolled forward. It sure. Just happened. But then suddenly these shenanigans started happening with the Unfathomable Mars Star Alliance deck, and it came back. Nice. So it was literally down like one key pushing check for second key. Don't even have your first key. Both wow. games happened the exact same way. And then suddenly the games went down where both of us had two keys. And then you're both pushing for the final key. But the Brobner one edged out both times. It won both times, but it was like a close game. But it just had more, I guess it was more aggressive. So you're you're pushing, pushing, pushing. Was there a lot of but amber control? In Well, deck, Brobner is what of- I'm thinking of because I, I know... F- I'm very familiar with the Ember Control and Brobnar, and I feel like if one deck is that far behind, when you're at that point, you need to continue to stop the other deck from forging. Yeah, that's that's what it was. So there wasn't a ton of Ember Control in the Brobnar one, but it, I mean, it did have the the Rant and Rave, which is they have eight or more, lose yep. four, I believe, or lose half. I can't remember which half. one it was. Yeah, so that was good. Um, it then had some stuff in Sanctum, but nothing great. 
Uh, so it it wasn't the best Ember control, but it was such an aggressive deck that it was mm-hmm. always pushing, so it didn't matter. And then the other deck had lots of Ember control, and that's how it stayed in because you suddenly were getting cards and you're able to do things. And then you were controlling Ember and making your opponent have to respond and do things like that. Like it had two of the the covetous, uh, what's it called? The covetous Hema, which I love the art on, which is mm-hmm. capture three upon a playability. And then if it's not on a flank, it gains elusive. So that was like a huge way of of kind of stopping things from moving forward. So that was that was really, really fun. But I mean, it's mainly action cards, the unfathomable. So you're sure. just waiting to have that action card turn. It's so and great that you got to play both sides. You got to like be on both sides of all the combos in both decks. And so it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, when you were playing the unfathomable side, it was super fun. But do you feel like when you were on the opposite side of it, was it, what was the feeling like when you were receiving that? Like when they played the befuddle and the abysmal sight and you were like getting that done to you, like, what was that like? It was kind of like, it was funny because both times we, when we both executed it, the Brobnor deck was in a position where you're like, oh, wow, I'm like really in control and this is a great hand. And suddenly sure. like, like you're just like, oh no, I'm, this is going to really hamstring my next turn. So, cause you just have all the information and on top of it, you're playing disruption. So it was crazy. And the cool thing about the star lines is it provide a really nice, both decks had an outpost, which was cool. Oh. So the Brobnor outpost was there, which is um, you, it, I think they all execute the same way. Just put a creature from the board on the bottom of your deck and do an ability. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how they work. Cause they both have that same start, which is great. Cause it provides the token, uh, like if you have a token, that's something you actually want and you don't right. want it to go into your discard, you can then make sure you have it. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. But this the this one had the Ganymede Outpost, which I was so happy to have for, because we've read the book, you know, the, yeah. the and that was mentioned so heavily. It was fun to have that flavor. But I really like that that one because it archives two cards from your hand. So not only are you putting a token potentially on the bottom of your deck, that's a valuable card you also get to archive. So I was utilizing that to save all my unfathomable cards to have a really strong, like eight card unfathomable turn. Like that happened more than once for both of us. Nice. It was really, really strong. And then having the future booster to kind of see what you're about to make a token and having that information really helps sometimes um, with what you wanted to, maybe do I want to actually do this or do I want to hold off? Cause it's, there wasn't a ton of token making in, in it, but it was, it was honestly so much fun. Like I thoroughly enjoyed playing this and the, the thought process of the token mechanic and sure. making tokens, how much you want to utilize them. Things like that were, were really interesting. Did I you really ever consider Mars. like when you were playing tokens, like, did you ever consider like killing one into something so you'd get that card back or like when you looked at what was at the bottom of a token did it like mess up any strategy like how did the tokens factor into the strategies of the decks okay so there's one point i had written down and i said to you hey if we don't get to come across this naturally i want to talk about this so this is going to be the time i talk about this (laughs) nice so what i noticed is we all know that there is less efficiency in this set from previous sets partly due to like rotation and stuff. Logos. But what I yeah, exactly. And what I noticed is tokens are actually the efficiency. That's just Ooh. simply what it is. And this is the reason why. So both decks happen to be privileged with the card is scoop up. Mm-hmm. And I think it is an amazing card. 
So scoop up, um, they both had two scoop ups in each deck. So, wow. so it was a total of four between the two decks. And the reason I like this card is because the idea I think that exists is you create tokens, you look at your tokens, see what it is, and then you go, okay, this is a good card, or I don't care about this card. That's literally what it what it comes down to. Now, what I found was cards like scoop up and other cards that were like the, the outposts or the the locations, having those being able to take the card is like, okay, this is the efficiency. So this is a card I actually want. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to put it back or I'm going to scoop up, put it in my archives. So this way you actually had the card at your disposal and you could use it. So you actually had information. And if you had multiple tokens, that means you could actually select what you wanted to go into your archive. Right, totally. And be able to pull the following turn or something. Um, I suppose I should read Scoop Up, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So Scoop Up is an amazing Mars card. It's an action card. And on it, the text says, as I find the three kabooms before the Scoop Up, uh, you get an Ember Pip. It says, put a friendly non-Mars creature and an enemy non-Mars creature into your archives. If, it, if the enemy would leave, return it to its owner's hand. So that was the thing. So it got a problem off the board. And if something had a lot of ember on it, which is possible in this set, it was a nice target because it got around some some things. Um, and, I mean, that's just great value. And even though my opponent got it back, that's great. But I also had a Memrox the Red in one deck, so it's like your opponent's cards cannot leave your archive. So that was a nice little thing to go with that. But I, I just love that efficiency. And then the deck with Memrox also had, and this to me was like, the cherry on top of things. Uh-huh. You had a total recall. Oh my gosh. So you could just make these Brobnar tokens and see what they are. And a lot of the times they were Mars creatures because they had heavy Mars creatures in yeah. that deck. And then so you total recall, get all this ember, and now you have Mars creatures to play, which you didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so that created that efficiency. So I'm just finding ways to interact with tokens and take them off the board, but not necessarily destroy them, Right, is this new creative efficiency you have. Because it's less randomized as like just archiving the top cards of your deck, mm-hmm. but essentially is the same thing. You just have the information of what those cards are when you're selecting them. Right. So I really, really liked that about this set so far in my first two decks. And I'm hoping to see more ways to interact in that way, because I think it's sure. going to be a really fun way of playing the game. Like Absolutely. I think Total Recall is gone up in value hugely in this set. Yeah, and like when you're playing against a Coda deck that has a Hysteria, you absolutely, like you've negated their use of Hysteria because you're just giving them back not just creatures, but other things that might be useful. Yeah, it's very it's very strong. So I'm, I'm very much enjoying the, the, the way Token has created efficiency. It's I mean, it's not as consistent to a degree as just straight up being able to do like archiving or things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's still providing it. And I think it's providing it in a more unique way, in a way that feels very Keyforge as well. Sure, totally. And so you played both of these decks, but that means that you played them against each other. So you've played this in set and it sounds like they were like incredibly well matched that that you mm-hmm. both games, both players were at two keys when the, when the game was won. What is your feeling so far, having played them both and played against them both, how they would feel playing out of set? Um, that's hard to say. I think they would both do very well out of set. They, it, they both had tools, which was nice. The, mm-hmm. they both had like, there was kabooms in both. There was a grand melee in the other one, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool. 
the the sanctum was a little underwhelming but also had like a nice amount of creatures so it sure. made it okay but the the thing that was really nice in it was like it had some revered monks which i was really not that stoked about like mm-hmm. the if it gets plus 2 armor for each of its sanctum neighbors like i didn't really care about that um and then it had a gray rider which was really nice in there and it had absolve which was really cool i thought i thought that was a really neat kind of card to play especially with the deck having pounds so you could kind of potentially pound your own creatures to set up <laughs> that which was fun uh, but the card that I really liked in this deck was the membership drive. Oh, yeah. And gain one for the problem was, was I didn't get the token creation the way I wanted to really, oh. mm-hmm. to really utilize it. But it was strong enough that when the discard a card from your opponent's hand came, yep. it was the choice both times for every, for both of us. That's what we chose. And it just so happened that we always had that card in hand when those cards came out. Absolutely. But I think these will play well against other other sets um it's hard to say like i i think these decks are not top tier i i have a feeling these are going to be their mid-range sure maybe the brobner one could be in the low to mid 70s but i definitely think the unfoundable one's going to fall on the lower end just because i think it would play well against coda but i think in some of the other more board base it did like finding the answers to the board constantly, it didn't have enough of that to really get it going. So that was the one unfortunate thing. But I, I do think that this set is going to stack up really well. And I really like the way it plays. Like it has the Brobnar exactly the way I want. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I've been purposely buying Coda decks lately because um, I'm, I'm just not into the the shadows and dis in Coda as much as like the thing you're looking for. Right. Um, I found that Brobnar is really what I'm looking for in my codex. I'm looking for like a specific Brobnar, especially with the way I feel the meta has shifted. Sure. Having that, there's certain Brobnar cards that exist that now with such an extensive catalog of decks in the wild, I can find things I'm looking for and they're not necessarily super highly rated, but they're going to do a very specific thing I'm looking for that's very powerful. Yeah, totally. So now that you've you've played these decks and you've gotten a taste for it, what are you looking forward to? Like, what do you want more of? What do you want to see in your future Winds of Exchange decks? Well, I want to see some Equidon. That's, yeah. that's the first one. <laughs> I want to see how that plays. Um, I think what I realize I want is it's the token creation and and the right token i don't know yeah exactly and the right token i i feel that when you have mars the way kind of mars is is there's certain cards in mars that kind of lends to you wanting to have a mars token yeah i just feel that it's it's like i'm i'm actually loving this mars like the they got the flavor really right because before when i plays mars i don't know how to describe it but when i played it all the flavor of it had this feeling that i was like i wasn't really excited about but i understood how good it was mm-hmm. and i think it was a mixture of the art and the way the cards played i just didn't like the way it hurt itself yeah like so much right that would have been great with there's a uh the blorb the mars token so um getting the uh blorb hive back so when you're like hurting it it actually helps you so sometimes depending on what the token you have the mars really really combos well yeah, it's it's yes, definitely. And I, I loved how this Mars it it felt more synergistic, even though it had the Mars flavor. It just the art and everything just seemed to be elevated to this 
more cohesive thing. Like I noticed things were a little darker in the art this time. Like they're more in the shadows and stuff than than just like out in the battlefield. And I really appreciated the way Mars has come together. Like I feel they took things and just made a cohesive feeling that still it embodies everything that Mars represented, but it feels better when you play it. That's how I would describe it. That's awesome. I'm glad that like that's your impression of Mars because Mars coming back has been so looked forward to by so many people. And like mm-hmm. that being your impression, it makes me more excited for more Mars decks. Yes, I'm definitely not disappointed. I feel Mars has a lot of really great tools. And I think there's gonna be some really fun broken Mars decks. Brobnar did exactly what I wanted to. Like I was I was super happy with the Brobnar. I was like, I love the way this plays. Like it's it's really fun. It it still embodies everything that Brobnar is, but it's it's elevated to a way that's cohesive. Same like Mars. It's like they they really got the pulse of what was lacking and fix it. And granted, I only played it once. The Mars I had two, so I saw more of that. Yep. Um Sanctum, I don't have an opinion on at this point. Like the Sanctum worked as like a kind of a burst house, but mm-hmm. it had kind of the feeling of vanilla cards. Like they they're on oh. the board mm-hmm. and they're not nothing, but they're sure. they're not exciting is how I would describe it. They didn't yeah, have the excitement sense. of other of other things, but they're not bad either. They're just like very right. vanilla. Kind in a way kind of like Coda Sanctum, you know, like they had some cards, very but support. for the most part it felt very like you're not you're not happy, but you're not unhappy either. It's, it's just milk toast. <laughs> totally, totally. So before we start talking about some of the other awesome decks that you've gotten recently, I have my my final question. Did they earn sleeves? Of course. They're my first <laughs> one, they're a gift from you. And two, they're my first uh, first like deck. So I so I'm sentimental in the way where I will always sleeve my very first deck from a set. Oh. And I like, and I'm, I'm loving like that, that one that I love them both. Honestly, they're both really fun in it. And I love that they play well with each other. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think there's a universe that the, the unfathomable one will win. I just think it actually requires, there's more strategy in that one. There's more big brain plays that can come from it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one I think is way more like just throw them on the board and, and get it done type of type of deck. Did you have trouble with Amber Generation? No, it was like, <laughs> it was dumb. It was like it created a lot. It was just create a board and get Ember. Like there was times when my friend was like, "Well, I mean, I have five creatures, so I feel like doesn't matter what's in my hand. I just take Reap. care of this board here. Yeah, just just get it done, sort of thing." So it was it was really fun in in that regard. Like we both really enjoyed playing the decks, and we didn't bother going to the chaining side of the adaptive because it it just kind of felt like. They were close enough that I think we wouldn't have done it with a lot of chains and whoever right. took it with more chains would have, it would have been too close. And I, I think it would not have worked. Like it just had the advantage. That makes sense. Absolutely. So wait, the boards that the way that they were, was that like, did you find that to be a problem where like once one side had more board than the other side, was it like a, an almost guaranteed, like continued amber generation and almost guaranteed win? Um, no, because there was, because of the fact that they both had kabooms and stuff like that, there, there was answers. And the other thing that was really strong was the, the broken axe outpost, I think it's called. Oh yeah. The broken axe, because then you could just be like, put a token on the bottom. Like the, the cool one was he would do things like, 
attack with this, put a bunch of damaged counters on it. Now put it on the bottom of my deck. Deal, yeah. Deal put a friendly damage. creature on the bottom of its owner's deck if you do deal six to an enemy creature. Yep. So that was that was super strong because it's literally just remove one thing with your four powered warrior, have three damage on it potentially, or just let it die. It doesn't matter. And then put it on the bottom of your deck because it's a card you want oh. and deal six damage to something else. You're getting like a two for one. So nice. It was very much board based removal. And the grand melee was. The way I think this set works is the Grand Melee is both good and not good at the same time. <laughs> and the reason is, is because you can get like this blanket of same houses lined up. So then you're not getting the trigger where if it's neighbors are of a different house. Mm-hmm. But then you had this weird thing where you could make a token. So then you suddenly put an out of house token in the middle of your battle line. And now oh. it kind of creates some exposure. Yep. So you had to be play around that, which was a fun part of it. Or maybe you have like four tokens in a row and then Grand Melee doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. So it created this this kind of interesting moment there. That's awesome. So do you think that your friend will come back and play again? Of course. Oh good. <laughs> he he liked it. And I mean he kickstarted as well. So we're we're excited nice. to have both of our collections come and and get to play. And I know uh Dan the old Sanctimonious podcast host, who is one of my good friends. Um, I'm going to drive down to Seattle when I get my Kickstarter as well. So then we can also play some some stuff together. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Cool. Yeah, so it'll be fun. So I hear there are some tentaclids going on somewhere around here that I need to hear about. Yeah, I bought I bought a, um, a fun, a couple fun decks from the Keyforge shop, Forge It or Lose It. Uh, you guys may see it. It's a Canadian shop so I, I like to go to that one because then I know I'm I'm getting the the local sort of advantage so to speak although shipping takes longer which is dumb and I really just wanted a tentaclid deck a omnipus deck so I, I just bought one so I'd have it and uh, it's a fun deck it it's got like five tentaclids so not not too little but not too much and then it has two strange ordinations, so you know, get that fun little burst. And it was honestly such a fun deck. Bring low and doorstep to heaven, or isn't it as well? It's it's a pretty fun deck, but it's not the deck I want to talk about. But we played both decks against each other. So this other deck I bought is ridiculously fun. And I I was honestly, I was like, I've lost. This was my, <laughs> my thought process. I'm like, there's no way I'm beating this deck. Like it's just too good. And I wanted to play it, and it's what I bought it for was I was looking for a John Smith deck. And this is a triple John Smith deck with Brobnar and Dis. And the funny thing about this deck and the reason why I got it is it's a 12-creature Mars deck with three John Smiths. Oh, my gosh. That happens to have a Marauder, a Zizix, um, the Vesma Think Drone, and a Mind Warper and a Mega Mouth and a Grabber Jammer. So all those kind of were the ones I'm looking to John Smith were any of those ones. Sure. And the cool thing was, is I went and I held off playing the Mars, but I didn't care. The cool thing about this deck is there's, there's an arise in it. So kind of what you want to do is not just hold your arise. Yeah. And you have to time it. So before you flip your deck, you just arise your Mars and you have 12 Mars. And when you throw down 12 (laughs) Mars creatures, it is oppressive. And that is basically what I did. And I was losing. Like, I think when I say losing, I had not even forge my first key <laughs> and my friend was at two keys plus ember oh my god did this and so i took all my mars i threw it up on the board and then i proceeded to just 
take care of the board. So I, I think there was a gateway. So I think I gatewayed shortly before. And then I did the Arise and I chose my Mars though. And I literally just won just from Mars, like turn after turn. And the cool thing, the way I kept myself in the game was I first played Marauder and it didn't matter because I had mm-hmm. no Mars. But then what I did was I just waited and I let my Ether Spider go. Oh, there's an Ether Spider. So I should just read this Mars list because it's stupid. It's a Chuff Ape for the Taunt, Ether Spider, Grabber Jammer, Triple John Smith, Mind Warper, Tunk, which was amazing because then I could play and heal, Mega Mouth, Vizimuth Ink Drone, Marauder, and Zizix the Many, which was providing a bigger creature and getting another card out of my hand when I was calling Mars over and over. That and sounds like a like an alliance pod for the ages. Yeah, I'm kind of, that's where I'm thinking right now. So the thing that worked so well was, and this deck was just crazy fun, was I let the Ether Spider get Ember. And then when he destroyed Ether Spider, oh, sorry, I forgot one thing. What I did was, as soon as I had my next turn with it, things like the Marauder uh-huh. and Vizima Think Drone, like they weren't high targets. Like the John Smiths, the Grabber Jammer, Ether yeah. Spiders, those were the targets. So what I did was the very first thing I did was Reap with Marauder, Reap with Vizima, and then I archive my Marauder. And I now have 11 Mars creatures on my board. Oh my gosh. So I let the Ether Spider just get up Ember, do its thing. He pops the Ether Spider. I then grab my archives, and then I drop my Marauder and capture 11 Ember, plus give it 11 power. <laughs> then any excess remainder, I'm just John Smith, Grabber Jammer, capturing and it was just like, he couldn't do anything. It was just like so oppressive. And then I'm taunting with the Chuff Ape at right. the same time. So it just created this really oppressive board that you that unless you had a board wipe, you were done. And the only board wipe that was really going to do it, what or only board wipe that existed in the other deck was a Grand Melee, oh. which doesn't help when you have yeah. a full board. And then when he got ahead, like he got to a point where I'm like, oh crap, it's too much Ember because he had a good board there. I had a Drumble. <laughs> And so it was kind of just like, and and he did an amazing job of staying in the game because he got his Bringlow and Doorstep as I went into this. So he was able to go, boom, you're down to five, burst up again, Bringlow down again. Like it was, oh. it was such a fun game, but I've never had a deck that was just 12 creatures, but 12 like really valuable creatures. Right, right. Uh, that's it's crazy like the the things that early coda could do is just nuts and in how broken it could have been because it it followed like a slightly different algorithm until the algorithm was tweaked you know so Mm -hmm. i love that mars house that sounds fantastic what would you pair it with for alliance like if you were thinking of what you would do with it where would it go from there so i definitely think having an arise is a key thing because being able to just pull all of it into your hand and throw it down was the thing. Cause there's so many things. It's like, what do I deal with? And especially right. if you know where their board wipe was. And and at that point you're hoping to be, you know, really low into the decks so that hopefully you've seen any significant board removal. Yeah. That is kind of a cool thing. So I think it's definitely going to be paired with dis. I don't know what the third house is yet though. Sure. Sure. You know, that's the one thing because there's so many options. Like you could, you could emphasize the board and go Brabnar Sanctum, or you could like try and get the speed, but you don't want too much speed because with your Arise, you don't want to like flip your deck before you bring them all back, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the tough thing. I mean, I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's potentially shadows, but I mean, I, I gotta be honest, I'm really over Coda Shadows. Like I find <laughs> it so boring. Like it does what it does, Quite but predictable. I just find it really I don't find it fun or interesting to play. So I'm kind of moving away from 
the Code of Shadows. So I think I would look for an Arise with decent Ember control in the Dis is mm-hmm. where I think I'd want, and potentially a Dominator Bubble. To be honest, I'm I may actually just keep this one because it has nice. so it has like a Dominator Bobble, has two Shulers, a Pit Demon. It has all the things that kind of make it work as is. So I don't know if it's necessary to take to it apart. It, but I, but it may be something with the control of the week though, and an Arise would be be a nice differential. But yeah, that third house I got to do some testing to see. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. You sounds like you've had such fun keyforge recently. Was have, all of this yeah. in person? Yeah, we played all these all these the same night. Oh my gosh, so you could look into his eyes and like see when you're about to play one of those big combos. <laughs> it, it was honestly great, and especially with like, like I I genuinely thought I had lost the game. Like mm-hmm. I was like I'm done, and then suddenly the arise came, and I was like, wait a second, and it dawned on me, don't call dis. You have twelve Mars creatures, and I didn't even realize until that moment that there was actually it was all Mars creatures. I That's was like, wait so a second, funny. these are all creatures. <laughs> reap 20 times. You're good. You're done. Yeah, basically. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. How incredible. It's so exciting to hear such wonderful Keyforges being played out in the world. I'm still getting most of my games in on TCO recently just because I haven't been able to get together with people in person, but um, I, I am slowly opening all of the decks that I have left from KFC. So I'm, I'm jonesing to get my hands on the, uh, the GameFound campaign. I want, I want my decks. I want to be able to yeah, open I more. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, hopefully TCO will be up and running by then with uh, Winds of Exchange. Because, I mean, everyone has decks, so I guess it's just a matter of time. I guess it's yeah. the scanning is really the issue, though. Oh, yeah, totally. If it's, if we don't have a Master Vault, we can't play it on TCO. So I'm 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 wondering if that's going to be the next announcement we get from them. We'll probably Ooh. be when a Master Vault system is ready. Or, you know, there's always TT. Have you pl- ever played any Keyforge on Tabletop Simulator before? I have. It's really fun. It it provides the social aspect of the game a lot better because you have to communicate everything. Right. It's literally, it's it's literally playing virtually IRL. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Totally. It's, it's nothing's automated. You have to do everything yourself. It's really good if you want to get used to the triggers and staying on top of doing things yourself and getting back to that play. The only downside is if you're not familiar with the hotkeys of TTS, you're oh. going to spend time thinking about that rather than concentrating on the gameplay. Sure. Yeah. I've played a couple games over Zoom over the course of the pandemic, and I, I attempted one recently, and it didn't really work out because it it has all the downsides of playing in person. Like, you have to shuffle everything. You have to keep the board state right, like, physically. But then also it has all the downsides of, like, you're playing online, so you can't, like, when you're looking at their screen, you have to, like, pull it up to your face or you ask them. They, so they have to narrate anyway, you know? Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. I'm excited to get more in-person Keyforge happening. Me too. All right. So we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. Help Help from Future Self. Self. And I have one for us today. So from everything we've heard from you, Blake, and the uh, couple of games that, that I've been able to play, I honestly think I need to start looking at what else my tokens can do besides what's printed on them. Because especially from how you talked about like that is where the efficiency might come from and your scoop ups and what's underneath the cards. But I also think that has a lot to do with some of these tokens have a lot of printed drawbacks on them, things you can't do with them or how low their power is and how easily they are wiped off the board. So thinking about tokens in a different 
way and not just like the priest being able to exhaust an enemy creature. It is a two power creature on the board. Like what else can you do with it? What does, how does it work with the unfathomable house that you have? I feel like working with the tokens to do more than what they are printed to do is, is my next like goal with Winds of Exchange. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a lot of that's going to come from getting to play more Keyforge and then just seeing more things out there because with as many decks as everyone got until we're actually playing consistently, we're not going to really truly see because as much as you can theorize, and I know there's some people who can do this better than others, <laughs> it's, it's actually going to be the things you just did for the sake of like, well, I have no other choice yes. that are going to really bring out like, oh, I didn't even think of that moments. Absolutely. That's what you get for, you play a deck a hundred times and you're still discovering things on that 90th time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's a really good point. And I, I just think tokens are the coolest thing. And I really hope they only exist in Winds of Exchange because so far I'm really appreciating this aspect that started coming like we in mass mutation they're like you know what? we're gonna do something where mass mutation was like the most enhancement heavy set mm-hmm. so that is the thing that you think about with mass mutation and the mutant factor i guess right. actually is probably more so like that was those two aspects but it's really the mutant factor that really and the was like giants the and they yeah. did a lot yeah. in mass mutation yeah mass mutation i think that's why it's the most popular set right now and then you got Dark Tidings, which brought the tide as a very specific thing that exists. And now mm-hmm. we're getting tokens in this one. Like, I'm loving that a set is going to create something potentially that you can only get from this set. And if you like it, you can just lean into that set. Absolutely. It's, it's the most neat thing. And it's the most Keyforge thing, too. Like, it embodies Keyforge so aggressively. Like, if you look at other other games i don't think they have anything like that like where a set does one thing so specifically that's that can only be done when you play this set a lot of them have themes you know but like sometimes like magic has a lot of them based on other ips or um i know like pokemon came out and they had their their different sets because those followed the new pokemon but in general like keyforge is just so unique in how it plays on top of how you like have your deck already built for you. I feel you that like coming with a token. I think the fact that you don't get to pick the token has a huge effect on how you play the deck. Yes, totally. It's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm really excited to see this set just played more. And I, and I want to, I can't wait for just playing like Archon sealed. Totally. Cause as much as I think Alliance is really fun sealed for getting to revisit old sets. Because you've played that, we've all played them ad nauseum at this point. And so <laughs> getting to then have that agency over choosing what's in your deck is really cool. Um, and then having this, just getting to play just regular old sealed with it and just enjoying the new things and what it does. And it's just going to be so much fun. Like, I can't wait to get back to that. Absolutely. And we will end on that note. So you can reach us on Discord, link in the show notes. I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO. Blake, where can people find you? You can find me on Discord as best. It's uh, Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. That's BLVD Blake, number sign 3840. And then I'm getting back to regular content on my YouTube. So please go check that out. Just search for Boulevard Blake. Awesome. We will be back next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay forging.